we're going through this series for more than these obvious reasons. In fact, this, this series has a special significance for us here at Trinity because, as you may remember, we began a journey a while back focused on asking God to renew our hearts and minds as a congregation, to, to renew our hearts and minds after his and, and, and conform us to him more and, and, and more. We've been praying for the kind of spiritual renewal that, that does more than just evaluate our programs and our plans, where we've been and where we're going, but it, it's the kind of renewal that, that, that seeks that deeper inner transformation of our souls, that, that, that new life inside that, that, that lights a fire on our hearts for Jesus to follow him more and more. The, the psalmist wrote about this in Psalm 139, where he, he prays for this kind of renewal. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked, any, any idolatrous, any, any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, we want God to do that in our lives, not just our lives individually. Sometimes when we come to church, we think, what does God have for me today? How is God going to change me? What sort of gift does God want to give me in our time of singing or, or in the, the scriptures or in the fellowship afterwards? But really, when we gather together, God is doing a work in all of us together. He, he's certainly doing a work in our individual lives. And so we pray for a renewal in our individual lives. But we have to think bigger than that, collectively. When God is doing a renewal in my heart and your heart, and then you see the, the, the changes going on as he renews both of us together as part of one body of believers. This is the, the, the sort of work we want God to do in us as a congregation. And so, as a church, we're not starting this season off by reading Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders or, or, or Good to Great Leadership or some other church growth book, which they're all great books and, and beneficial for, for what they've been written for, but, but we're, we're, we're starting by dwelling on, by gazing at, by meditating on marinating in the life of Jesus. We want to dwell on the amazing news that he proclaimed, this news of the kingdom of God that has been brought in, that's been ushered in, and that will be completely brought in when he returns. We want to dwell on, on all the blessings and privileges of being citizens of that kingdom, on thinking on all the promises of God that we just sang about. Last week, we heard about Jesus' invitation in this season toward a new purpose, right? We, we may have been fishermen before, but now we're going to be fishers of men. And, and this task that he's given us, this purpose that he's given us, is not something that he's given because we're particularly crafty or well-skilled or able to do these things, but this is a purpose that he plans to make fruitful and make effective because he is able, not us. Right? And so when we bring in our net full of fish, that net won't break. Not because we're strong or we, 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 we wove a good net that day, but because he is able. 
And so we learned last week that, that we have this new purpose in this season of renewal where, where, where we don't have to wonder what our job is or who we are. We're a part of the kingdom of God, the family of God. And with that purpose, to, to, to take this good news which we ourselves have received and share it with others so that there might be more fish in the net with us. And, and, and so today, in our time together in the scriptures, we're going to take a look, not so much on what we're going to be doing in renewal, but how we'll seek the kind of renewal we're asking God to do among us. So if you didn't bring your Bible, there's Bibles in the chair backs in front of you. You can take that out and turn to page 981. If you brought your Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, right in the middle of the chapter, just a, a handful of verses, really. I'll try to give us a little bit of context as to what Paul's saying and doing here. But, but we're going to read Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16. Again, uh, page 981 on the, in the Bible that's in the seat in front of you. Uh, you could certainly look it up on your phone if you have the Bible app on your phone. It'll be on the screen. But let's give God's word our attention as I read for us from Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes this. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Heavenly Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son Jesus, not just to reveal who you are and your love for this world and your plan for this world, but Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus to make a way, to pay the price that I owe, that we owe, for the, the ways we've turned against you and sinned against you, God. Thank you for sending him to, to bring this message of good news, that there is a way for us to be a part of the kingdom of God. Thank you for the promises we have in Scripture of who you are and what you are doing. Lord, may the promises you have for us here in Philippians chapter 3 transform us from the inside out. May your Holy Spirit have his way in us and among us this morning, I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my uh, favorite things to do with my kids is read to them. I mean, you know, you don't have to expend a lot of energy running around chasing them, all those things. That's, that's one side of it. The other side of it, it's kind of fun to, to look back and read some of the children's stories we loved uh, reading growing up. And, and so one of the books that, that I used to read to the kids when they were younger was because it was one that I read when I was younger, was The Little Engine That Could, right? Uh, if you're not familiar with it, this is a story of a little engine that gets called on to help carry this large train of toys from one side of a mountain to children that are waiting for those toys on the other side of the mountain. Now, the challenge before the train is not such a, a simple or easy task. The mountain is high, the climb is steep, the train is, is heavy, it's a significant challenge for it, but all along the journey, the little engine repeats 
over and over and over again, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And you know what? Through perseverance and believing in himself, eventually this little engine gets a train over the mountain and to the children who are celebrating in the village on the other side. Well, you know, here in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is essentially putting himself forward as an example in the faith of persevering in challenge and in, in facing opposition. And, and he's doing this by encouraging his leaders, his, uh, his, his listeners in, in the village or in the, the city of Philippi to, to, to persevere in the face of trouble just as he has learned to do. To, to, to face those troubles just as he has learned to, to live in them and persevere in them and, and push through them. And, and though Paul encourages us to persevere and to, to press onward like the little engine that could, the difference is that, that he doesn't tell us, he doesn't tell the believers in Philippi to, to believe in their own abilities. Don't say, I think I can, Right? but instead to believe in the power and the majesty of one greater than ourselves. See, the letter that Paul's writing is prompted for a few reasons, but one of those reasons is that, that, that there's very young believers in the church in Philippi, and they're facing some, some opposition. See, the people that they're living among are not necessarily people who are living in obedience to Jesus' teachings, and these two worldviews are clashing with each other. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, which is on page 980 of your pew Bibles, verses 27 to 28, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation, and that from God. In other words, Paul's saying, don't try to figure out how to address the, the issues that, that your opponents are bringing up. Focus on living the reality of the gospel. Let that be the message that your opponents hear. Don't be stopped by them. Don't be intimidated by them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't let them scare you into to, to living a way that contradicts the teaching that Jesus has given you. Later on in the second chapter, Paul will, will actually continue this teaching on living counterculturally, but, but not in, in such a way that, that, that they're not living like what he calls a crooked and twisted generation. Now, you may think, wow, Paul's getting pretty dirty calling people names and things like that, but, but, but Paul isn't into a bunch of name calling here. Rather, he's talking about the shape and the contour of the heart's of the people in relationship to God's rule, right? So those people who lived in Philippi who, who didn't uh, follow the way of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus were actually living like another people that had been talked about in the Bible long ago who were described as being crooked and twisted because they were taking God's word, they were twisting God's word, they weren't living in line with God's word in a straight and narrow way, but in a crooked way, turning, and tw turning away from it here and there, living in opposition to the teachings of God. This people was the people of Israel, and, and Moses was the one who called them a, a crooked and twisted generation. 
He's talking about the people that were to carry on into the promised land, who continued to hold stubborn hearts uh, toward God, continuing to take what God had told them to do and choosing to do their own thing and walk away from him. And so he describes them as being a people who lived disobediently to the way that God had invited them to, to follow him, to trust him, to love him, and to live in agreement with the life that he had for them in the wilderness. So the opposition to the believers in Philippi were not just people who, you know, coexisted with them in in the same space, who said, hey, can't we all just get along? These were people who mocked God's rule. They they twisted his rules. They they lived very crooked in comparison to the, the righteously straight way of Jesus. And here's the thing. You may think that they could peacefully coexist, but, but, but there was like a jealousy among these people. There was a jealousy bet- between the people who lived crooked and twisted, lived opposite and disobediently toward Jesus' teachings, and, and the followers of Jesus. They were jealous uh, of the life, the morally high uh, way of living of the believers there in Philippi. And so as a result of all this, the believers became a target of the other uh, Philippians who, who were twisting God's word. But I, I want you to, to notice that when the Philippians were faced with opposition, Paul doesn't say to them, hey, you can do it. Just keep going. Just keep telling yourself, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. No, instead, Paul models for us a kind of faith that, that it doesn't require self-reliance to overcome the adversity we face. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, well, we have to be more obedient than those crooked and, and twisted people. In other words, Paul's saying, it's not your self-righteousness that, that helps you. It's not, it, it, what's going to help you overcome this opposition is not showing how good and righteous and holy you are. Instead, Look at what Paul says in, in our passage in Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, the example of the faith that Paul gives us is a singleness of focus. One thing I do, right? Paul gives us the example of where our attention and our eyes and our ears and our hearts need to be attending to in the midst of our challenges and troubles. We're not all going to face the same opposition that the believers in Philippi did, but we will live lives where there will be things that want to distract us from what God has in front of us. This promise that God is showing us through the believers in Philippi is a promise that that lays before us an invitation to have the same singleness of focus that we see as an example in the faith of Paul. Now, if you were to walk down the the self-help aisle at a bookstore, you'd find books like Seven Steps to a Happier Life or, 11, or 12 Keys to Success or Six Ways to Live a Simple Life, right? Which is ironic because, you know, you've got to do six things to live a more simple life where you feel like a simple life should have one thing or maybe two things at most. But, but the, 
the point that Paul's making for us here in, in the singleness of focus is that the gospel isn't a, a program or a plan that you buy into. It, it, it's not, not six simple steps to live out the gospel. It, it's not a, a gym membership or a weight loss plan with different steps or, or requirements. It's a singleness of focus and ambition, right? Jesus sums up the law of God into two commands, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, guess what? It's not totally different. It's like the first commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a singleness of focus and ambition. One thing I do, not seven steps or 12 keys or six simple ways. So what is this one thing that Paul does that we can glean from him? Well, Paul presses on. There's a little play on words here which, which makes this passage more interesting or more fun, I think. The, the word for press on in, in the Greek is actually the same word in the Greek for persecute. So when, 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 they, when they would write in Greek, this word could be used in reference to persecuting someone or something, or, or pressing on, seeking after, striving, like Paul uses in our passage about uh, characterizing a runner running a race, striving to cross that finish line and break that, that tape of the finish line, right? Uh, I, now, I don't know about you, but, but when I first learned this, I, I was a little bit, it, it was hard for me to understand the connection. How can these two words, which seem so different, be used interchangeably with one Greek word, right? How, how, can, how could these words be the same when they're two very different ideas? But, but here's the thing, maybe the two very different ideas aren't so different because they both require a laser-focused objective, right? Persecution requires an object. You can't just, you can't persecute without having an object to persecute, or a person, or, or a people, or a belief system, right? It, it requires uh, not just a target, but a persistence toward that target or objective. So for example, out of, uh, in his own life, in Paul's own life, out of his own religious zeal, Paul persecuted the church. He persecuted the followers of Jesus who, who lived in obedience to the ways of Jesus. And he didn't just do it once or twice. He built up quite a reputation of being someone who persistently sought after and persistently persecuted, challenged, arrested, even uh, condemned to death followers of Jesus. He targeted a specific people for a specific belief, and he was unrelenting. Persecution, right? In the same way, the Greek word for press on that Paul's talking about requires a laser-focused objective, a goal that is unrelentingly pursued with a singleness of focus. Paul's not talking about standing on the side of, uh, of some race saying, come on, you can do it, let's go, let's go, you can do it, just keep going, here's a little water. He's not talking about cheering someone on saying, you can do it, keep going. He's talking about this personal drive and ambition that is unrelenting, this unquenchable fire in your soul to chase after something or someone. Now, I grew up in the church. 
I've been around this message of the gospel for most of my life. You know, as I became an adult, I, I wasn't required to go to church with my family, and so I had some time where I could choose whether or not to go. But, but even as I stepped into those years, I realized I don't want to be away from this message of the gospel. But here's the thing. After you spend a long enough time in the church, you, you begin to forget that burning passion inside of you, the reason you first fell in love with Jesus, the, the, the reason that, that you came to know his love for you. And so I think, church, what Paul can encourage us to think about and consider and, and dwell on today, when he says press on, he's not saying, hey, come on, you can do it. Let's, let's just pull up our bootstraps and try a little bit harder. He's saying, hey, I don't want you to forget the purpose for which you've been called to this life. Early on, let me just read a couple verses. We're not going to put them up on the screen, but in our passage, Paul says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. Right? What's he talking about? Uh, sorry, in verse 12. But, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul recognizes that he's being held by Christ. He remembers the story on the road to Damascus where, where, God, where Jesus miraculously confronts him and calls him into a new life, right? He, he recognizes that's a time where, where Jesus took hold of my life. My life is secure in his hands. I want to remember that every day from now on, I want to live a life in pursuit of him, chasing after him with that singleness of focus. And, and I think sometimes we can forget that in the church, right? Because we're familiar with it. Think about someone who's never stepped foot in the doors of a church. They walk in, they've got no understanding of what happens in here. They see it, they witness it, they see people stand and sing songs together, they see them bow their heads and pray, they, they, they see a pastor come up and preach for two hours. All right, we're awake. Good, good. And they're like, what's going on here? We, we're, we're totally familiar with it because we've been around it. The danger, the risk of that is we forget why we walk in the doors of this building. We forget why we wake up and crack our Bibles and read the word of God. We forget that burning passion, the reason that Paul talks about to press on. And so when we hear Paul say that as an example, he presses on toward his goal, I hope we hear that reminder that God has given us that very same desire in our soul to pay attention to, to see renewed, to see rekindled, to see fanned into flames. And so in the same way, the Greek word for press on requires that laser-focused objective, a goal that we are unrelentingly pursuing with a singleness of focus. Not, not like I want to... I want to be successful in this area of my life. I want to do this. I, 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 I'm a big fan of that over here. Here's the one thing. Here's one thing. The, the thing that I hope people will think of when they, when they try to characterize Dan's life. This was his greatest ambition. Right? So for Paul to press on, it's not just to, to, to cheer on the believers in Philippi. Say, hey, come on, don't be discouraged. You can do it. He's not doing that. He's, he's also not telling them to just shake off the sting of persecution and move on, to, to just ignore it, to, to forget that it's there. For Paul to press on, he, he, he's, he has this 
targeted pursuit of something beyond the pain, beyond the trials, beyond the the difficulties of, of the people there in Philippi. He's saying, focus beyond your circumstances. In verse 13, he says, he first forgets what lies behind and straining forward, he presses on. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced motion sickness or seasickness, but, but for, from my own experience, when, when you're suffering from seasickness, you're told to, to focus your eyes on a stationary object in the distance. In, in other words, you're told to stop paying attention to the, the up and down motion of the waves, the rocking of the boat, Don't pay attention to those things. Rather, pay attention to a stationary object in the distance. Focus your eyes on that. Maintain your focus there. Don't take your eyes off that object that's stationary in the the, the distance. And spiritually speaking, to forget what lies behind and strain forward and to press on is to stop paying attention to the noise and waves and rocking of your life so much and instead focus your attention on your goal. That's why in the songs we sang this morning together were more than just pretty sounding. They were a declaration of our hearts, a reminder that, that we too should stand on the promises of God. Not, not just, hey, I'm, I'm standing on this promise, but, but maintain our attention, our focus on these very real, very hope-filled promises of God and to, to focus on what lies ahead. In our passage, Paul refers to it as the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But it's his one thing, his greatest desire, his greatest ambition. And he even says in our passage, it's something that he hasn't yet obtained. It's not something he, he, he fully has, has grasped and held onto, yet he hungers for it more and more. It's what gets him up in the morning. It's what informs what he's going to be doing with his life, how he's going to be spending his time, where his resources and energy will be invested in. Earlier in our our passage, Paul tells us that he presses on to make it, whatever it is, his own because Christ Jesus had already made him his own. So what I want us to ask ourselves is what is his greatest ambition? What is it that he's talking about here? What is that thing that is the singleness of focus that, that, that he's unrelentingly pursuing? Look a little bit further up on our page, uh, in, in our passage in Philippians 3, verse 8. It's not actually in our passage itself, but just before it. Paul says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, the one thing that Paul has a singular focus for is knowing Christ fully. But, but Paul's not referring to wanting to know Jesus' biography or his likes and dislikes, favorite meal or where he likes to visit or go for quiet time. Paul's not talking about knowing Christ in that way. Paul wants to understand Jesus' heart. He he wants to understand Jesus' mission. He he wants to understand what drives Jesus. He wants to understand the the nature and character of Jesus and how that is a reflection of the Father in heaven. 
He wants to experience Jesus' righteousness and peace. He wants to be clothed in in his holiness. Paul will even say he wants to share in his sufferings with Jesus for the glory of the kingdom. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, to gain Christ is so much more than just knowing about Jesus. It's experiencing Jesus. King David writes in Psalm 34, verses 8 and 9, which, again, if you're using the Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, it's page 464. He says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is more than just information. There is an experiential, a taste, a touch, a see, a smell, knowledge of Jesus that, that Paul strains forward toward like a, like a track runner leaning across the finish line in first. But that's, that's really only going to happen when we take our eyes off our troubles, off our circumstances, off our griefs, and focus on Jesus and strain toward him. See, at the end of the day, the gospel doesn't tell us to persevere and face trials like Paul does. No, at the end of the day, Paul tells us to persevere and face trials in a gospel-centered way. In other words, to, to maintain our focus, to maintain our, 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 our attention solely on the message of the gospel. This one thing, to know Jesus Christ and to know him fully. See, a life of trusting in Jesus doesn't consist of coming into the church and hearing about the laws and and the stipulations that God requires of his people. And then, in our experience, walking out that door and, and being kind of covered in guilt and shame because, man, I'm just not doing such a good job living up to those things. That's not... That's not the gospel. That's not the message of Christianity. That's not the life of trusting in Jesus. See, a life of trusting in Jesus consists of us keeping our focus on him as our one thing. It consists of trusting him to accomplish more than we could ask or imagine. It's doing what Jesus told us to do, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all else will be added unto us. When we strain forward toward his outstretched arms of grace, we press on, we strain forward, and we trust him to hold us and to lead us into his kingdom. Church, we prayerfully agreed to pursue a season of renewal together, didn't we? Those words uh, and that idea can bring different ideas to different people. For some of us, when we hear renewal, we just hear static, right? It's like, what, what, you know, we have no idea what that means. What is going on? Or or it's like, it's a word we hear around and it's kind of lost its weight. It's lost its significance. Uh, 
For others of us, we, we picture the glory days of growing up in the church and, and we remember the way things used to be and how we used to do it. And renewal means, great, an opportunity for us to get back to the good old days, to the way we used to do things. But the kind of renewal work that we want to see done in and among us is not either of these things. We, we want to see a, the kind of renewal done in us and among us that only God can do. Not something we can accomplish, not something we can innovative and creatively come up with, but one that we wait upon God to accomplish in us and through us. It's not going to be us telling God what an awesome idea or plan we have. It's prayerfully and patiently waiting on God to do a work, again, that only he can do, to, to fill us with the kind of spiritual life and health that we long for, to, 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 to make the gospel work of our hands fruitful. But there's one thing that we must do, right? Waiting is not sitting back and, and just twiddling our thumbs while we sit on the couch waiting on God. There's one thing we must do as we wait upon him for the, to do this renewal work in us. See, like Paul and, and the believers in Philippi, we may face opposition and persecution in this world for the faith that we believe and live according to. We will come across people who don't, don't agree with us and, in fact, have very strong opinions as to how we live our lives or should be living our lives or what they think about the way we live our lives. And so there is one thing that we, too, must do. Our one thing of... of utmost importance in renewal is forgetting what lies behind, not confronting what's going on around us, but forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, to keep our, our mind and hearts focused on the promises of God in Christ Jesus, not to dwell on the things of this world that are going on around us, not to say that we remove ourselves from this world, but how many of us start to read the things going on in the news or the arguments around the coffee tables and we become consumed with these conversations when what we should be consumed with is our focus on Jesus and our trust in him and our dependence on him to show us the way, to, to bless us with his wisdom in navigating these places. And so the, the one thing of utmost importance in renewal is forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, and pressing on toward Jesus so that we too, as a congregation, as a community of followers of Jesus, might arrive together at our goal. What's our goal? To fully know Christ. Not information about Christ, but to see Jesus in and among us to see his character transforming us. I want to I look around me and see the character of Christ ministering from you into me and around us. And not just here, but even into our community beyond the four walls of this building. We're going to seek him regularly in prayer. We're going to gather together in our homes to worship him. We're going to gather here in church to worship him regularly. It's important, not just because, hey, it's one more thing to do, but because it's how God wants to renew us and transform us because it's where we will together maintain this laser focus on Jesus and pursue him unrelentingly. So this year, Let's press on, church. 
Let's gaze intently ahead of us at the life of Jesus and his good news. I hope you will be with us, not one or two Sundays a month, but every Sunday, because we are going to be going through the gospel of Mark, and we're going to look intently at the life of Jesus. We're going to explore this king of ours. We're going to come to know the kingdom that he is establishing. We're going to know what that goal is that he's laid out before us, and we're going to pursue it unrelentingly together. So join us. I'm excited. Not because we've got six simple steps or 12 key ways. We've got one thing, one thing to do together. Let's do it well, church. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that, uh, Lord, you desire for us to know you. You desire that we would know your heart, to understand your ways, to, to, to seek after you, to desire you above all else. Lord, I, I pray against those earthly treasures that seem so enticing. I pray against the, the earthly ambitions that, that seem so right and good as we look around us. Lord, I pray that we all would have a laser-focused faith on Jesus. You certainly for this year, Lord, but, but in the years to come as well, that it would be said of us that there is a community that focuses on Jesus, that focuses on obeying him and following him and becoming more and more like him together as a church community, as a faith community. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement of Paul that he is to the believers in Philippi and to many believers after that. May we not look at him and think, well, how do I be more like Paul? But may we look at him and see the example of one striving after Jesus. May we too, in our own way, strive after Jesus day in and day out. Thank you for your word, Father. May it have its way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That uh, we get to celebrate in our time together and worship Jesus together is taking a Sunday out of every month to celebrate what happens at the Lord's table.